This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Have you heard about the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program? The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leading experts in the field to bring you ROCK, the online learning platform developed for U.S. residency programs. Free to residents, ROCK empowers you to build a foundation to prepare you for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. And remember, access to the ROCK content is free for residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Nail the Ortho podcast featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine. We are doing our OITE slash our board review series, and this is actually the last episode of our OITE slash our board review series for adult reconstruction. So we've gone over a lot of stuff to this point for uh, for hours and hours of uh, Dr. Spencer Woolwine and us uh, rambling back and forth. We did some trauma. We did some uh, we did some foot and ankle, spine, hand. We did a lot of stuff. So if you've gotten any value, value out of anything that we've done please and go and leave a review it takes about five seconds to do maybe 10 uh, maybe 20 seconds if you write something really nice but uh, without further ado let's just go ahead and hop into today's episode and uh, let's get it started now that we've kind of covered the the fractures and I mean there's pretty devastating fractures around the acetabulum that can happen Um, those are not particularly common and they're usually not tested on because they are not that common. And so it's one of those where I don't, I don't think we necessarily need to cover acetabular fractures from impaction of the acetabular component since they don't tend to test on that sort of stuff. So I think we'll move on to probably the most devastating complication of uh, total joints uh, of infection. And so um, what is, uh, I mean, we briefly covered it uh, a little bit, but what is the most common organism that's isolated in prosthetic joint infections? Yep. Staph aureus, Staph aureus, Staph aureus, most common organism. Um, and, and, and an organism more specific with implants is Staph epi. Uh, and, you know, one of the things uh, that can be seen, especially after total hip and in, in infections would be uh, staph epi because they produce this biofilm and uh and sometimes they can produce this biofilm as early as four weeks post-operative so again staph epi biofilm production i don't know if you ever saw sketchy micro uh if that was around when you're in med school but they there's just there's this it's like program that has different pictures to help you remember different antibiotics and i remember this one from the sketchy micro because it was like this they were in this kitchen and and, and they were saying that staff epi <laughs> produces this biofilm but for those that are listening that have seen sketchy micro will know what i'm talking about um, yeah uh, funny story about <laughs> sketchy micro that was actually uh created by my classmates in med school oh man really yeah so oh, that's crazy i, I should have hopped on that because they're extremely successful but oh, yes, yeah. I, I'm I'm fairly I wouldn't say I'm best friends with them. I'm not gonna blow this out of the water and tell people that I know famous people, but I, I'm fairly uh good friends with those guys and I'll check in on them from time to time. But yeah, they they did big things with that sketchy micro. They have like sketchy law, they have sketchy yeah. like I don't know, business school or whatever, like they like sketchy farm, sketchy micro, like they they did huge things. And I, I think I, I don't quote me on this cause I could be wrong, but I think they were offered a buyout from Kaplan, which is kind of a, a huge yes, thing. Huge. And they didn't take it. I, they, and they were like, Nope, we're just going to continue doing what we're doing. And so um, congratulations to them. None of them are listening to this cause none of them are <laughs> orthopedic surgeons, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of those guys. They, they, they worked hard on that stuff. 
Yeah, they changed the game completely. Like made all that stuff understandable. And yeah, yeah. Shout out to them. They they did a great job with that. Um, but so what how do we treat, you know, total hip arthroplasty prostatic joint infections? It's similar to the knees, but which we talked about, but we might as well just get it one more time. Yeah, the um so within four weeks, and and that's the key is because we we've seen the biofilm forms at four weeks. I did see a lecture on uh, biofilm from this like absolute genius lady uh, when I was at a course called Disasters in Orthopedics, which is a hilarious name for a course. <laughs> um, but she was talking about like, like for some organisms, biofilm starts to get formed like immediately. Like as soon as a bacteria can land on a, a surface, they start to lay down their biofilm. And so for now, uh, keep it at four weeks. I think as more research goes into biofilm and what it exactly is and does, I think we'll see that the biofilm at four weeks is not uh, the right thing. I think we'll start to see more aggressive treatments earlier than four weeks, but for now, stay with the four-week window. So if somebody has an early infection, meaning less than four weeks from asymptomatic to symptomatic, you can do a head and liner exchange. So basically you are exchanging the modular components of the total hip and you are uh, uh, doing an IND. And one thing that I do with my INDs, and there's probably a bunch of other people that do it. I did not invent this by any means, but I'll have them get a, a scrub brush from the scrub station, open it sterilely, and I, I brush and floss those implants just like you're brushing teeth because I do know that biofilm can form earlier than four weeks. So I use that to get any biofilm off the exposed implants that I can. Mm. Then I IND, I'll do a betadine soak, and then I'll re-implant the brand new head and liner. Um, so I know that there's other people that do that, but I think that's just a good way to get rid of any early biofilm that's formed. But then if you have late uh, infections, so they have had a chronically draining wound for two months, or they ignored their hip pain for six months, and it finally has gotten to a point where they can't stand it anymore. Those are more of the kind of chronic uh, infections. And uh, at this time, two-stage revision is the gold standard. And what we mean by two-stage revision is explantation with uh, full IND and uh, cement spacer, uh, doing IV antibiotics for six to eight weeks, and uh, doing then doing like an antibiotic holiday, and then bringing them back, reculturing. And if nothing grows after they have been off of antibiotics for a number of weeks, then you can re-implant their uh, final components again. This is the OITE standard. This is the board review standard. Um, a lot of papers that talk about single stage revision come out of Europe, which uh, they tend to do more of, but the OITE is an American test. Uh, and right now there hasn't been any, to my knowledge, any compelling American evidence that single stage revisions are equivalent to two stage, but the Europeans have tested that that stuff. So I would say that 
for the OITE and the boards, they want to know that you are a cautious and conscientious surgeon. And so doing a two-stage revision has been the safest thing for these patients. Whether or not that's the correct thing to do all the time is up for debate, but I would be more cautious and lean more towards two-stage revision rather than single-stage revision for the OIT inboards. And then if they are like uh, like an acute infection, like we, we talked about infection within four weeks, and some of the times they uh, will say like, oh, the, the patient had, uh, I don't know, like a UTI last week, and now their hip hurts, but it previously didn't, then you're concerned that maybe that UTI turned into a, a episode of bacteremia and that bacteria seeded the joint through the blood, then you can say that, oh, this is an early infection. It's less than four weeks old. So I'm going to treat it like an early infection and do an IND with poly and minor exchange. Um, and this is always a moving target, which is frustrating that we haven't quite figured <laughs> it out yet. Um, but it's one of those things that I, maybe we'll never know the right answer. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing, but. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. If you're an orthopedic resident, it's time to start building the foundation to be prepared for the OITE and ABOS part one exam. The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leaders in the field to bring you the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program. Rock is an all-in-one online learning platform covering 11 subspecialties. You can access the content for free at rock.aaos.org. This platform delivers a comprehensive, structured, standardized curriculum and even includes self-assessment quizzes and performance analytics. And remember, residents never pay to access Rock content. Get started today at rock.aaos.org. What, at least right now, what is the number considered to be positive for a, a prosthetic joint infection after hip aspiration? Yeah, and to touch on that, like these numbers change almost every couple of years. Like, you know, you think the Musculoskeletal Infection Society, um, they're the ones, you know, the papers to look at but you look at different papers they'll have different numbers um but i say if if and i think they won't try to trick you on the exam you know like they'll make it known but uh, you know at least for orthobullus i'm looking at orthobullus right now currently uh you know if you get a cell if you get an aspirate the hip and you get a white blood cell count of three thousand and more than 80 percent pmns that's considered infective uh if it's a metal on metal hip white blood cell count greater than 4350 is uh would be positive and again these numbers change every couple of years so depending on what year you're listening to this you may just have to kind of kind of look this up and see what the numbers are for that year um but i guess more more importantly this this part of things that really shouldn't necessarily change but what is the the workup for a suspected total hip arthroplasty prostatic joint infection yeah, this is this is the thing that they really want you to know. I mean, sure, the knowing the white blood cell count and the percentage of PMNs is important, but the test uh, question writers know that this is a moving target, and sometimes even they are not fully updated on the newest things. So, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't bog yourself down a lot on those numbers, but 
definitely knowing how to work up a total joint has not changed. So uh, first things first are history and physical. Uh, then you want to start with lab results like an ESR and a CRP. If they are elevated, then you're moving on to a hip aspiration. Um, but they might have been on antibiotics. So you have to talk like uh, sometimes they go and see their primary care doctor. Uh, and this is more real life thing than than testing, but they'll go and see their primary care doctor. Their primary care doctor will look at their incision and be like, oh, it's a little bit red. I'm going to prescribe you 14 days of antibiotics, but you should follow up with your surgeon. So sometimes they don't tell you that they're on the antibiotics, you aspirate it and it's, it doesn't look infected. Well, they've been on antibiotics here. And once they stop those antibiotics, it might come back. So you have to make sure they're off antibiotics before you aspirate. And then once you aspirate again, you're looking at those numbers briefly again, white blood cells greater than 3000 or 80% uh, PMNs is typically what is considered uh, to be positive for a prosthetic joint infection. And um, then you, then you move forward is then you decide if this is a acute infection versus chronic. And if it's acute, then you move forward with what we talked about earlier. If it's chronic, you move forward with the two-stage revision. And so um, one thing that was more standard back in like the eighties and nineties, but we have since moved away from is uh, blood transfusion. Um, and what's the reason for that uh, kind of decrease in transfusion uh, for the, for total joints? Like, why don't we use it anymore? Yeah, because, you know, postoperatively, it increases your chance for getting an infection. So uh, if you get a transfusion post-op, you have an increased chance of getting an infection. And um, that, that may not be the only thing. What what other things, you know, it could be medications or procedures uh, that could actually, what things can decrease the risk for a post-op infection after total hip. So we know transfusion can increase your risk for an infection, but what are some things that can decrease the risk of a post-op infection after a total hip arthroplasty? So obviously, I mean, we all do this and it's instinctive to do this, but uh, perioperative antibiotics and then, but other things that are not as uh, uh, obvious are things like TXA. So because TXA decreases your risk for transfusion, you're going to decrease your risk for prosthetic joint infection. And those, and the TXA is given either uh, through uh, PO, IV, and topical routes, uh, depending on the place. We typically give it IV, but um, I've seen it done other ways. And, and topical is not like, uh, like a cream. It's not like a like a Voltaren gel topical thing. We're, we're talking about like some people will put like TXA in saline and dump it into the wound and let it sit in the wound for a little bit and then suction it out. That's what they mean by topical. Yeah. And then uh, uh, hypotensive uh, epidural or spinal uh, anesthesia are uh, other ways to decrease the risk for post-op infection because um, the anesthesia is shorter. The anesthesia does not uh, cause as much grogginess afterwards. The patients are able to kind of get in and out of the OR faster and the 
less time you are operating, the less chance you have for infection. So the faster you can get your procedure done, the less risk you have for an infection. And uh, we talked about TXA, but what's the mechanism of action of it? Yeah, so this inhibits plasminogen by binding to the lysine binding site. So it's a competitive inhibitor. And I think we we might have talked about it in our basic science section. I remember we had like a whole section on like DVTs and, uh, you know, different medications. So if you want to dive deeper into the mechanism of action, um, you know, of DVT prophylaxis, I go and check out that section, which is actually high yield, especially for um, hips and total joint arthroplasty, you know, DVT and, and PEs and, uh, and venous thromboembolism prophylaxis. But I think that pretty much wraps up our our arthroplasty, uh, arthroplasty series. We talked a, a bunch of knee, a bunch of hips, and we covered all the all the details, even like ram extrusion for uh, for polyethylene. We talked about radiation, physical exams, things to look around X-ray. So, uh, you know, that's that's it for hip man. Yeah, if you don't know it now, then it's not on us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, for those listening, stay tuned. I think next we will. We only have three left. We only have hand peds and um in and, and oncology. You know, I've been tumor. Yep, yep. And I've been uh putting off off peds for a while. <laughs> but we gotta get to it at some point. Oh man. <laughs> oh, pediatrics. But um, yeah, I think maybe we'll do a little bit of hand next. And I think hands are like a pretty um uh, like a shorter section, you know. Like I think the majority of sections are like uh for like trauma and, and joints um and then you know so i think those make up the most of it but like smaller sections are like foot and ankle and hand but you know hopefully we'll get through it and and almost be done here man it's crazy almost <laughs> yeah for those listening again if we got anything wrong feel free to um, send us an email you can send it to nail it ortho at gmail.com if you feel like we got something wrong or or left something out you know we'd love to circle back around and uh, look some other things up, you know, hopefully this is helping people out and, and uh, you know, helping educate, you know, our future orthopods and, uh, you know, just spreading some more information out. And uh, until next time.